morning. Welcome to another episode of the Millennial Momentum Podcast. This is Tommy Tahoe, Alema, and thanks so much for joining me. Um, if you are new to the podcast, this is focused on millennial personal development. I'm someone that wants it all, right? You know, I want to be rich. I want to be mindful. I want to have good relationships. I want to get promoted. I want to be in great health. I want everything, um, and I believe that that can be done if you prioritize and you focus on the right things. Uh, and you can take some of the tactics from people that are doing it. So uh, that's my journey. I'm here to share that with you um, and help you get you know one percent better every single day. And you know one big piece of self improvement and personal development I think is is the use of mentors and virtual mentors. Uh, a virtual mentor being someone that you don't know, like you don't meet, you don't speak with on a daily basis, but you learn a lot from. And I think that can be done through. Podcasts can be done through books, through videos, a lot of different ways. Uh, books being one of my favorite avenues. Um, you know, I'm kind of a bookworm, and you know that's why I wanted to start off a little bit of a a string of book reviews of some of the most impactful books that I've read, um, and then as I continue to read, add those in and break down what the book's about. You know, some of my favorite parts, why I liked it, why I think you should read it. I'm not going to you know spoil everything, but um, I think it's it's you know a quick way that especially if you don't like reading you, know, you can just get kind of the synopsis in you know fifteen twenty minutes so that's what I'm doing here today. Before I do that, quick shout out, fan of the week, my dad Tom Alamo Jr. It's been I don't even know if I've given him one yet, but if I have, here's another one. A lot of support from him. Uh, really appreciate it. Thanks, Dad. Love you. Um, now, without further ado, let's get into the book. All right, let's get into. The book review, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Phil Knight is the founder of Nike. I'm sure you've heard of them. He wrote uh, the number one New York Times bestseller um, about the creation of Nike uh, a couple years ago. And so I read it. This is one of my favorite books ever. And that's why it's, um, that's why this is kicking it off. And, you know, it's been, Nike has been around since 1962. And, we're talking about this in 2018. So, uh, what's that? You know, 56 years, right? Since they've been around, and um, you know, it all started with what what Phil calls is a, a crazy idea, and he always capitalizes throughout this book, crazy idea, the C and the I, as if it's a person or God or a place, um, like a religious thing. I love that, and um, you know, I wanted to break this down, and I remember I read this book. I got it. Um, I, someone told me to read it, so I, I I picked it up, and I was spending time in Seattle, uh, and it was you know coincidental that I was in the Pacific Northwest. He's an Oregon guy, and um, I'm reading it, and I'm up in Seattle. It's a Friday. I have a business meeting, and I decide, hey, you know what? I want to stay the night in Seattle. I want to check out. You know, on Saturday I'll come back Saturday night, and um, I'm reading this book, and I can't freaking put it down. It's like Friday night, and I'm supposed to be you know, going out to get dinner and like checking out the city and like doing touristy things. I, I can't leave the hotel room. I'm obsessed with the book. Um, you know, I did, I, I got out a little and like ate some sushi, but then I rushed back and kept reading it and I read it on the plane and like, I just couldn't put it down. So when I decided to do a book thing, like this is the number one, you know, this is one of my favorites of all time easily. So, um, you know, I'm going to break down some of the passages here. If you're listening on the podcast, thank you. If you're watching on YouTube, also thank you um, on both locations here. So, um, you know, what's really interesting before I get into this is that Phil, 
He starts the book off in 1962. That's when he starts the company and really takes his idea that he had as like a college project. Um, and, you know, it goes all the way out into the present day, into, you know, the 2000s. But, you know, the first, it's like a 400-page book. And the first like three 350, the first 300 pages are like the first 10 years of the company. It's like not, until 1972 or 1975, like, that's almost the whole book. All the fun stuff after where like they're they're rich and they're doing this and they're IPO and all that stuff. Like there's some good content there. We'll get into that. But most of his story is about the struggle, about the process. And I love that. Love it. So um, I want to kick it off with his preface that he says. And he, he's talking about, um, you know, 1962 when he is, um, you know, just graduating college. He's living in Oregon. He's living in his parents' basement in his childhood bed. And it's just like, oh my God, what am I doing? And he goes for a run. And, um, you know, he starts thinking about this idea he had as his college project. And, um, you know, I, I can't even say, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna quote it from, from Phil here. He said, this is while, while he's on a run. I was suddenly smiling, almost laughing, drenching sweat, Moving as gracefully and effortlessly as I've ever have, I saw my crazy idea shining up ahead, and it didn't look all that crazy. It didn't even look like an idea. It looked like a place. It looked like a person or some life force that existed long before I did, separate from me, but also part of me, waiting for me, but also hiding from me. That might sound a little high-flown, a little crazy, but that's how I felt back then. I mean, this is the his idea, and he's just going crazy at like his eureka, his aha moment. Um, and then, you know, he ends the, the preface saying, so that morning in 1962, I told myself, let everyone else call your idea crazy. Just keep going. Don't stop. Don't even think about stopping until you get there. Don't give much thought to where there is. Whatever comes, just don't stop. Half a century later, I believe it's the best advice, maybe the only advice any of us should ever give. Woo! So, Whatever it is, whatever you're going after, your crazy idea, your thought, your goal, don't listen to other people, all right? Um, you know, maybe take some advice, maybe maybe take some feedback, but if you believe in it, you got to go for it, and Phil, Phil Knight's saying that right now, and um, he's saying that's the only advice you, you should ever take. Don't stop. Keep moving. Um, so let's get into the book a little bit. Um, you know, he pretty much is building up the company from scratch. And, you know, something that's really interesting, and it's it's built on a passion, right? Like, he was a runner at Oregon, and he has a passion for running, and that's how he gets involved in the shoes. And he talks about the, a few of his first hires. Like, he, he starts the company with his coach, Coach Bowerman, who was, you know, a famous, um, you know, one of the best track coaches of all time. I don't know much about track. Um, but... He was, he's famous in that space. And that guy had such a passion for shoes. Like he would be in his living room, like taking apart, like putting apart, putting shoes back together, like would buy hundreds and hundreds of pairs of shoes. And that was like his life. That coach just loved him. Um, and then his, his other hire, I think the guy's name is Jeff Johnson. He's like the first sales guy he had. And he is so fanatically obsessed with the product and with the customers. Like he was writing, customers cards on their birthdays he was writing them christmas cards he was calling them he was 
calling and faxing and doing whatever to Phil Knight like every single day and like hunting him down and like telling him about like how much he loved the product and all this like it was just so much passion in the company like that's what got it off the ground was like they just cared so much about the vision um so that was really cool and um I don't necessarily have quotes around that but like I just think that's freaking awesome um you know one thing that stands out about Phil is he's just a competitor and he just gets after it. And, um, you know, he, here's a little section that he has about competition. Um, he said, people reflexively assume that competition is always a good thing, that it always brings out the best in people, but that's only true of people who can forget the competition. The art of competing was the art of forgetting. And now I reminded myself of that fact. You must forget your limits you must forget your doubts, your pain, your past. You must forget your internal voice screaming, begging, not one more step. And when it's not possible, forget it. You must negotiate with it. I thought all over all the races in which my mind wanted one thing and my body wanted another. Those laps in which I had to tell my body, yes, you raised some excellent points, but let's keep going anyway. Um, during all my negotiations with that voice, the skill had never come naturally, and now I feared that I was out of practice. Um, I could not bear the thought of losing. And it's just, how powerful is that? Like thinking back to, you know, I played sports. I played, you know, tennis most competitively. I played in college. I still play now. Um, but that thought of competing with the person, um, you think it's about competing with the person across the net or on the other side of the floor who you're guarding in yeah, basketball, but it's not. It's about with yourself. It's about pushing, pushing pushing a little bit harder, a little bit more, like doing a little bit more, 1% better every day. And I thought that was a really cool passage. Um, I wanted to share that. Um, another good quote here. He talks about winning. And um, it's along the same vein. He said, I redefined winning expanding it beyond my original definition of not losing, of merely staying alive. That was no longer enough to sustain me or my company. We wanted, as all great businesses do, to create, to contribute, and we dared to say so aloud. When you make something, when you improve something, when you deliver something, when you add some new thing or service to the lives of strangers, making them happier or healthier or safer or better. And when you do it all crisp, crisply and efficiently, smartly, the way everything should be done, but so seldom is, you're participating more fully in the whole grand human drama. More than simply alive, you're helping others to live more fully. And if that's business, all right, call me a businessman. He never saw himself as a businessman. He just saw himself as someone following his passion and he knew there was a hole in the market in the shoe industry. And he knew like runners were suffering, people could be faster, people could be more comfortable, he could prevent injuries. And like that's what he was going after. He was just passionate about changing people's lives and helping them. And the more and more I read about entrepreneurship, the more people I come across, that's what they focus on. They focus on the customer. They focus on who they can impact. They don't focus on themselves or the money. Like the money is a byproduct of being able to solve people's problems. Powerful. This is just a quote. The cowards never started and the weak died along the way. That leaves us, ladies and gentlemen. He presented that um, at a dinner uh, with the company. And like this is like 10 years in. And he says this quote a few times. But like he 
they had no ground room in the first 10 years. I mean, they were called Blue Ribbon. This is before it was called Nike. And he, um, and he, they were going to Japan because that's where they were um, getting, that's who was manufacturing the shoes, and he was getting screwed over in deals. He was going, like, to high school uh, track meets to try to, like, pedal shoes one by one. I mean, they were just not growing. And, like, the whole time you see that he is in debt. Almost the entire book. Maybe once they IPO, I think he gets out of it. Maybe for good. I don't think there's another time. But before that, he is in debt the entire time to his eyeballs. Like times where he had to fight off creditors and investors and the banks like day by day by day in order if he if he got cut like one day short, the company was dead. And he was just riding that line so thin because every dollar he got, he put back into the business. He put back into inventory. He put back into making the product better. And it was just, man, he's got some crazy balls on him. It was awesome. Um, so let's fast forward. The struggle was awesome. The process was great. And, um, you know, now we get into, uh, we get into 1980 and, He's like, man, I got to get out of this debt. I got to, we're going to go for, for a public offering. It, 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 it's something that a lot of companies, again, the more I read, like they go back and forth. I go public company, you know, we get this money, but we get less ownership, it might hurt the culture. Uh, Phil struggled with that a lot because he loved the culture. Uh, he got a lot of the culture from, you know, his visits to Japan, the way that he was gr- uh, brought up in Oregon, very humble. Um, you know, a lot of passion, like I said, and, um, but financially it just made sense to IPO. So they do it on December 2nd, 1980. And, um, you know, everything's set up except for the last thing is, you know, what the price is going to be. And, um, you know, Phil says he wants the price to be $22 per share. And, uh, he gets a call, uh, saying that the bankers, they offer $20, $20. And to the normal person, like maybe maybe you take the 20 and you, and you make it happen. Um, and he said, no, like we want 22. He said, that's not the right number. And it's funny because they, um, he thought the stock was worth $22 a share and Apple went public the exact same week as Nike at $22 a share. And he said to his team, uh, we are as much as that, that whatever software company, Apple that's making computers like we're at least worth more than that we make shoes screw a computer we make shoes so they go into this is the morning like the final day before them trying to figure out the price on the ipo and they go into the bank um and it's him and his team and it's a very hostile uh hostile meeting and the bankers say um hey look the absolute highest that we're going to go on this price is 21. Take it or leave it. And Phil says, no, our number's 22. Um, and the bankers say, all right, you know what? 2150, this is our final offer. We're not going up. This is it. And he says, gentlemen, 22 is our number. And everyone is staring at him. His whole team. They like They've made it so close. They made it so far. And he's going to... He's going to BS this for 50 cents on a share. And every, you know, he says, we could hear heavy breaths, pops, scrapes, papers being shuffled. I closed my eyes and let all the white noise wash over me. I relived every negotiation in my life to that point. He relived talk, telling his dad about his crazy idea, about um, launching the company, about 
falling in love with you know his now wife Penny, um, and the bankers say, um, "Sorry, you know, we'll we'll have to call you back." And five, ten, fifteen, twenty minutes pass by, and there's no call back, and everyone is panicking, and they call him back and they say, "All right, gentlemen, we have a deal: twenty-two dollars a share." And he hung tight on his twenty-two dollars. And it's just freaking awesome, man. He just hung in. He knew what the value was of his business, and he stuck to it. I thought that was a really cool story. Um, But what's even cooler is after that, that night, his dream, you know, 18 years of his dream, um, he he goes back home. You know, he sold his, not sold his company, but he took it for an IPO, and He's worth um, hundreds of million dollars. And I got to take this straight from the book. I mean, he took a long run. He took a shower, ate dinner, tucked in his boys, told them a story. And, um, you know, he he is just sitting. His his routine is like, I'm going to sit in the living room at night. And that's usually where he's stressed out or he called his dad. And like he that's where he figured out all his business problems were like on his on his chair in the in the living room. And um, he asked himself, what are you feeling? And this is from the book. It wasn't joy. It wasn't relief. If I felt anything, it was regret. Good God, I thought. Yes, regret. Because honestly, I wish I could do it all over again. I fell asleep for a few hours. I woke up. It was cold and rainy. Went to the window. Trees were dripping water. The world was the same as it had been the day before as it had always been. Nothing had changed, least of all me, and yet I was worth $178 million. I showered, ate breakfast, drove to work. I was at my desk before anyone else. (sighs) He just IPO'd. The man is worth... He just put his blood, sweat, and tears for 18 years. I've barely been alive for 18 years. And he is worth $178 million. And the next day, he hasn't changed. He's the first one in the office. How awesome is that? That just fires me up. I mean, he this, the only thing he regrets is that he wishes he could do it all over again. I mean, that's the sign of entrepreneurship there. It wasn't about the money. It's about the process, people. It's about the process. A um, couple other good quotes I have from him. Um, he says... It's never just business. It never will be. If it ever becomes just business, that will mean business is very bad. He cares a lot about the people that he works with. He cares about a lot about the people that he works for. I just thought that was a cool quote um, coming from this man that like has built up so much and you know just such a repertoire of, of his business. Um, and you know he he goes into. You know, his thoughts on a lot of the what, what's happening today in Nike and about, you know, not giving up and about, you know, focusing and, and working towards um, every piece of, of, you know, his career. And you know, he says, you know, this is the last quote, two quotes I'll bring up. He says, those who urge entrepreneurs to never give up are charlatans. Sometimes you have to give up. Um, sometimes knowing when to give up, when to try something else is genius. Giving up doesn't mean stopping don't ever stop. So um, don't, you might have to give up, you might have to pivot, but don't stop. Don't stop working for it. Um, and he says, um, you know, 
the, the, the one, the one piece of advice you'd have to entrepreneurs, have faith in yourself, but also have faith in faith, not faith as others define it. Faith as you define it. Faith as faith defines itself in your heart. And, um, you know, I think that's fitting because Phil is a guy that he always had faith. He had faith in himself from day one in 1962, just graduating college to, all the way to the end when he's or to the you know late of the end when he's negotiating on the IPO and then all the way to today where they're you know one of the most recognizable names in the world one of the biggest uh, companies in the world and um, you know there's stories here of of athletes that you know say that how close they are to to Phil and what he's done for their families and that he really cares and you know I think the one the one takeaway here if there's only one, um, is to never stop is to keep going. And, uh, you can always get better. You can always move forward. And hopefully that's something that you guys can appreciate that you can, uh, take to your lives somehow. Um, you know, I think personally I've taken shoe dog in a way of, you know, it's, it's, it's really just inspiring, right? It's inspiring to think that, you know, when he just had his crazy idea, that was nothing. And like, when you think of Nike now, it's, it's, the big, one of the biggest brands in the world. They have the clothes, they have the sponsorships, they have these athletes, they have all this stuff. But for him, you know, back in the day, it was just a new way to create a running shoe. It was just a little bit of a tweak on a running shoe. And he never knew it was going to turn into this. He could have never imagined that, but he had faith in himself and he never stopped. So if you have an idea, um, you know, I have an idea about uh, the millennial momentum that I'm sharing with you guys and that, you know, I have a lot of passion about. And, you know, hopefully, um, you know, you're finding value in this. You found value in the book. If you have an idea, keep going for it. I'm keep I'm going to keep pushing. This type of stuff inspires the hell out of me. Um, yeah, I'm going to keep bringing the heat. I hope you liked it. Um, that's all I got for Shoe Dog. There's going to be another book coming soon.